From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. So, the World Series is wrapped up. The Texas Rangers have secured their first World Series trophy in franchise history. The Philadelphia Phillies did not make an appearance in the 2023 World Series. And now there is nothing left to do but settle into our late fall ennui and await the arrival of spring. Liz, how are you finding settling into baseball's offseason? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's happening. <laughs> I mean, I've, I, I really mostly cut myself off from baseball, you know? I, I cut myself off from, you know, I, I just didn't care. I didn't care to sample baseball. Based on everyone I've talked to, that seems to be the general idea that I think a lot of people followed. The Phillies lost in the NLCS, uh, and honestly, at this point, I'm already sick of framing everything about them in regards to that to that loss. So I'm ready for the offseason to get underway so that there's a new foundation of news to discuss while discussing the Phillies. But obviously, right now, you can't really talk about them without talking about their NLCS exit. And at that point, yeah, I think a lot of people just kind of wandered off into the wilderness, uh, didn't really pay attention to the World Series it had, did I read that? I think it had record low numbers, which yeah. I don't think surprised anybody. It doesn't you know, matter. That's not really, and I don't even really mean that as like a dunk on the two teams in it, but you know, those were two teams without without widely established and well-known fan bases. Let's go with that. Uh, and they, I, you know, I'm sure Rangers fans enjoyed watching that World Series very much, but at the end of the day, it was a pretty unremarkable average World Series, you know, went five games a team that had never won before won. That's a, that is a mm-hmm. big deal. That's a historic moment. But and after uh, getting cruelly, cruelly uh, denied a World Series victory in 2011 by the Cardinals, twice by the Giants in 2010, uh, oh, and then the yeah, Cardinals you're right. in 2011. Oh. Well, yeah. and the Cardinals, it was particularly awful. It mm-hmm. was like a, it was like a last second or last. It was like it, I remember it being just devastating. For I just feeling so bad for them because I was fine at the moment. <laughs> I mean, I was unhappy in 2011, but I'm just like, we've got years, years ahead of us. <laughs> Are you excited for former Philly and Lancaster, Pennsylvania native Travis Jankowski for getting a World Series ring? <laughs> I, I did not know he was from here, but I did know, hey, it's the long haired guy. <laughs> hey, it's the long haired guy. So uh, that's uh, that's the extent. But sure, I'm happy for him. I mean, I have nothing against, <laughs> like, aside from Aroldis Chapman, who was on that team. Screw oh. that guy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's there. Um, and that sucks. But I- I'm happy for everyone but him. What about you know? Bruce, Bruce Bochy? You, you happy for him eh, <laughs> getting his fourth I mean, World sure. Series ring? I mean, I don't care. Be, getting a World Series ring as the manager of the team that one of his even-year Giants teams defeated yeah, to win like, the World Series. It's, it's like payback. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm here to make amends. Like they lost a hundred and they lost an insane number of games a few years ago. And last year they lost 94. 2021, the Rangers lost over 100 games. Two yeah. years later, they are World Series champions. Yep. And it's just like last year, they had most of the pieces. They did. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just bad. It was just a bad year. It, and it, it happens. It's just every everything goes wrong. Like the I think the Padres year might have started that way. Uh, and it ended as kind of a, a horrible, horrible mess. But like last year, like it's, the guy who constructed most of this team was fired. <laughs> He was fired. The GM was fired, straight up. And they hired someone new, and now they're World Series champions. And I hope they – I wish I remembered his name. I had to write about how he was fired. And I remember putting in a paragraph, like, you know, he did all this stuff. Like, this is exactly what they wanted him to do, and he is not to blame for this. The, the team was just bad this year. You know, and he's unfortunately going to pay the price, but 
you know, the next guy is walking into a into a table that's set, for, you know, all but like the water and the glasses. And that's all you need to do. You know, if anyone listening were to go to the Hidden Season Patreon and pay $5 at uh, patreon.com slash hidden season and listen to, to an episode of Absolutely Hammered right before opening day, perhaps even on opening day, uh, you would hear me and Chris Jones just kind of laughing at the Texas Rangers lineup before they played the Phillies on opening day. Uh, oh, and just I forgot la- that's who they played. Laughing at like the names we didn't recognize, how after Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, there was just a bunch of people we were not familiar with. and um, Some you know. who are now stars. <laughs> uh, and uh, just kind of laughing it off. And and uh, considering the just expecting the Phillies to win, which, you know, at first when they went up five, nothing on opening day, seemed like they were going to win. Seemed like that was uh, that was that was that was in the bag. And then the Rangers just swept them right on out of Texas. And what a stupid season. The Phillies finished the season. What a dumb season. Like, I I loved it. It was fun. The team is great. And the team is what I really loved. But when you look back at it, it's like they they had that great run in was it July or is it June, June and July? They had a few good months, mm-hmm. and it was struggle for the rest. And that's what baseball is. It's a long season, and they play a lot of games. But, like, when you look back on it now, it's like the, the vibes of the team really carries you through more than more than you uh, think they are at the time. Yeah. And now when you look back on it, you're like, hey, that really wasn't fun. I forgot <laughs> all about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a real, real interesting season. Uh, no one's going to go back and and look at it for a while. I think obviously they'll they'll be like a they'll do a DVD yearbook or, or video yearbook or whatever. And uh, you know, no, people will... hopefully they wait. Just yeah. wait. Don't do it. I don't wait. even not even not even Christmas. I was going to say, isn't it usually around the holidays that they they wind up dropping that? And yeah, you know, I, but I, at this point, people let the how the season ended kind of define the entirety of the season. And I'm an advocate for remembering that there were many many good times leading up to the eventual exit. Like the whole point of being on a deep playoff run is that things have gone pretty well to this point, win or lose. It doesn't make it feel any better if you lose, but you know. The season as a whole had a ton of really enjoyable moments, um, which the the Flyers were able to acknowledge <laughs> when they had gritty pose with Wally, the emotional support alligator who got turned away at Citizens Bank Park in September. Liz, would you say that was the beginning of the end for the Phillies in 2023? The Phillies at an outdoor park would not let an alligator in, and yet the Flyers inside an ice rink. We're like, let's have this alligator. You want to just put him on the ice, see what he does? I can't believe. That's definitely the vibe of of hockey, and I feel like Flyers hockey specifically. I can't believe how, like, handleable this this alligator is. Like, <laughs> everyone just handles it, and it's, it's just like, hey, yeah, what's up? Hi. And the owner, you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with the story by now, but the owner uh, took him in from, a, like, a, I think he was in, like, a body of water in Florida, and it's like illegal to move an alligator to another outdoor space. And I think it was on a golf course or something. There was some kind of issue like that that wound up with this guy being like, I will take the alligator and it will live indoors so that it will not be illegally moved because moving it indoors isn't illegal for some reason. Uh, it's just probably more like, why would you do that? And in this particular case, he just found the sweetest, gentlest alligator on the planet. And yeah, he's the, the huh. owner. The owner's like, yeah, I just I'll wake up and I realize there would be like a jaw print on my face from him just resting his face on my face while we like napped together. And you're like, how does, how did this happen? How how exactly did this go down? Because every other story I've heard about any other alligator ends in a much different way for the person whose sleeping head is near an alligator's mouth, but whatever. It's cool. And yeah, the gritty, gritty posed with him. And it was just a reminder of like, oh, yeah, there are plenty of little moments like that throughout the Phillies season. But nobody wants to talk about that right now. People want to move on to the next thing. They want to hear what's going to make the Phillies not do what they did this year to end their season as well as last year. You know, we're done with almost getting there. It's time to get there. Uh, But before all of that happens, they have to first win some awards, potentially. Did you see the uh, nominees for the Major League Baseball Silver Slugger Awards? Indeed, I did. A startling number of Philadelphia Phillies have made this list. Four Philadelphia Phillies are up for Silver Slugger's honors. 
Trey Turner, JT Real Muto, Kyle Schwarber, and Bryce Harper. That's right. One guy who didn't start hitting until August. One guy who missed 36 games. One guy who finished with a batting average under 200. The one guy considered a heavy hitter on, of this Phillies team who didn't make any nominations is Nick Castellanos, who was the only one of them to be an all-star this year. Yes. So. Or or uh, I noticed that Bryson Stott, I mean, it, it's obvious that Bryson Stott wouldn't make the second bit like he was a great hitter this year but unfortunately second base also has Ozzy Albies, Luisa Rise and Kettle Marte. Yeah, well that's tough. <laughs> you're yeah. just not going to break you're not going to break into that trio without having like a like a 325 season. You're just not. Liz, will Bryson Stott be up for a silver slugger at some point in his career? Maybe. I think definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's up for a gold glove, so it's not like he's going unacknowledged. But yeah, this particular that particular field is crowded. Some of these fields must not be. I mean, I mean these, these awards are sometimes confusing. I'm looking at the outfield right now, and it's very like Juan Soto is in there. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's obviously Schwarber's in there because he he hits so many home runs. He hit just so many. That's yes, and you gotta. I feel like most home runs should be its own award anyway. Uh, it, it, that way you could potentially take mm. that guy out of the running for a silver slugger because Kyle Schwarber, well, slugger is the best way to describe him. You know, he's not a hitter. He's a slugger. Yeah. So if anything, he deserves to win this award more than anyone. I mean, mm-hmm. does it make sense? No. Does it need to? No. no. It is, it's funny seeing all these guys being praised for their bats when – Boy, the Phillies really could have used some silver slugging in game six and seven of the NLCS, but whatever. Hey, good luck. I'm sure winning one of these awards will be an adequate solve to the burn of the season ending prematurely. Yeah. But that's, I mean, go ahead. A lot of this is name recognition. Like, that's all it ever is. Like, especially with the, like, JT Real Muto does not deserve a silver slugger this year. I'm sorry. He just I done, doesn't. He done, nah. I, listen, I will make an argument for Bryce Harper. If only because he was so impressive once he finally got his strength back that I think I think it's I think it's a it's enough for him to mean he will not win it. Um, who will win this? My God, who will? So uh, you're making <laughs> I have me no idea. You're making <laughs> me think about this. Like everyone always has a debate about all star birth. Like, who deserves it? Is it is it a guy who's had like a really good first couple months of the season? Is it a guy who everyone just wants to see play in that game, even if he's struggled this particular year? You know, is it a celebrity guest list? Is it guys, scrappy guys who are playing really well? Like, that's the debate. And, like, Silver Slugger, you know, again, what's the definition it's of that? Are we talking about. debate, though. Because I was like, okay, how does the Silver Slugger define itself? And MLB.com says it recognizes the best offensive players at each position in each league. And I don't think a guy like Bryce Harper, who's up for the DH Silver Slugger, in who only hit as a DH in 89 games this year, and he hit 297, but, like, does that not, would that not take him out of the running in most cases? Or is it the fact that he's just Bryce Harper and he gets to he gets thrown in there? I was trying to rationalize. It is that he's just <laughs> Bryce Harper. I was trying to find a case for it because he's just such a great hitter. And, again, as long as I ignore what most of these guys do and say, when they're off the field, I could fight. I could be fine with this. You know, Harper is a good player, and I would love for him to win the award because I, I'm, I'm a Phillies fan, and I like I mean, it when Phillies players win awards. But strictly speaking, I don't know why he's there other than the fact that he's Bryce Harper, and that Bryce Harper's name was born to be on these lists. Well, remember earlier when I said a guy who missed 36 games? When I calculated how many games calculated, when I performed basic subtraction... <laughs> To determine how many games Bryce Harper had missed this year, I was like, 36? That's so much less than I, 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 it is in my head. Like, he, was, he wasn't here, and then he came back, and then he, he struggled a bit, and then he went away again, and then he came back again. And that only amounted to 36 games that he missed out of the Phillies' 162-game schedule. And that just seems like so little compared to what it felt like, which is indicative of how much of a presence he has in a lineup 
maybe they felt like they had to acknowledge him because he performed a superhuman feat this, uh, this exactly, season, and they were scared of what he would do if they didn't try to <laughs> uh, honor him for such an act. You know, that's totally on the table. And I would say of the guys up for the NLDH Silver Slugger, it's J.D. Martinez of the Dodgers, Marcelo Zuna of the Braves, and Jorge, Jorge Soler of the Marlins. Bryce Harper's the best overall hitter of any of these guys. Yeah. I don't think that's crazy. That's not a Phillies fan thing to say. That's that's looking at baseball and seeing what you're seeing. Yeah, and if you take into account the superhuman feat, like, he does deserve to win the award. Right. Over those guys, like, who cares about them? I don't. But if you look at it as who had the best this year and should win the Silver Slugger for this year because of that, yeah, I don't think that should be... Harper, even though, like you said, the time he had, he made the most of it, it felt like, and then played and eventually hit very well and was the Bryce Harper the Phillies needed. But, you know, he just missed a lot of time this year. He missed as little as you could possibly miss with the injury he was recovering for the surgery he was recovering from. But still, uh, that just seems I mean, and like I said, these awards don't always Makes sense. J.D. Martinez, who is up again this year for a Silver Slugger, won uh, a Silver Slugger once as an outfielder, despite playing only 57 games in the outfield that particular year. Nick Markakis's Gold Glove and Silver Slugger wins in 2018 were confusing, to say the least, with even the Braves' espionation site calling it, quote, a bit of a head-scratcher when you compare his numbers with the rest of the league's top outfield hitters. So these aren't really... These come with question marks, these awards and nominations. And, you know, you just kind of at this point in the season, everyone's just ready for something to talk about in regards to baseball because there's no actual baseball being played anymore. Uh, I, I tried to look back at the last few years of Philly's Silver Slugger nominees, but to find nominees is impossible. They have uh, erased that information from well, the Internet, it feels like. They didn't start doing nominees until a few years ago. Oh, that yeah. one there. That explains that. Yeah, that would be why. <laughs> this is the like the doing the top three eighties position is just a few years old. They used to just say, "Hey, these are the winners." Just point at, at that guy over there. All yeah, right, but they realized one. they could do a they could release these names and then do a and make a show out of it. My God, we are just part of the content machine, aren't we? Yes, we are just indeed. falling right into their trap. Unbelievable. Well, let's continue talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, the Phillies have four <laughs> Silver Slugger nominees. They had three last year. I believe they only had two the year before. Uh, JT Real Muto won it in 2019. He won it again last year in 2022. Bryce Harper won it in 2021. Uh, those are the Phillies' most recent winners. I don't believe they had anything in 2018 or 2020. Uh, as far as that goes. But, like, yeah, the number of Phillies getting uh, nominated for Silver Sluggers just keeps increasing. Liz, how many Silver Sluggers will the Phillies actually win this year out of their four nominees? I think they'll win at least one. One seems fine. Yeah, I think that can happen. Yeah, I was looking up uh, who exactly votes on these awards, and it's the managers and coaches. It's not even the players. Oh. Like, it's not even the players that vote on this, which I, I always, uh, why, where are the awards the players give out to each other? Like, where's, like, where's all of that? Like, I care about that. I don't, I, I wish I cared a, a little bit more about what the writers think, but I, I don't <laughs> all that much. <laughs> like, all that stuff is fine, but like, I care, like, what the managers and coaches think, I care about that. And so, like, that, to me, casts some of this in a different light. Because, well, you know, you look at what a manager, what managers and coaches are going to value and you can't vote for anyone on your own team. Well, it's funny you should say that the Major League Baseball Players Choice Award winners have already been announced, I believe, just yesterday. They were announced player of the year and outstanding National League player Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, mostly because of posting the first 40 home run, 70 steal season in Major League Baseball history. That is insane and should definitely be worthy <laughs> of multiple awards. Uh, the Marvin Miller Man of the Year Award went to Marcus Simeon of the Rangers. Oh, nice. The Kurt Flood Award went to uh, a, an MLBPA special assistant named Phil Bradley. Oh, that's uh, great. Who I have played... to look into that award more. He played uh, for eight years in Major League Baseball from 83 to 1990 with the Mariners, Phillies, Orioles, and White Sox, mm. and was even an All-Star in 1985. The American League Outstanding Player was Shohei Otani, as you might expect. 
The National League Outstanding Pitcher, Blake Snell. Interesting. Uh, National League Outstanding Rookie. Well, again, probably not too surprising. Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks. National League Comeback Player. No, not the guy who literally came back from Tommy John faster than anyone else in human history. It was Cody Bellinger of the Cubs. Yeah. Choice, they, but still works. Yeah, totally yeah. worthy of that. Yeah, they mean um, it. I guess it, some of the players might def- define comeback differently, but I'm guessing oh, yeah, they mean from. Yeah, <laughs> I know. they mean just. From I know what it means. An just... Absolutely, utterly crap, crap, crap season. <laughs> they don't mean like who returned from somewhere in the <laughs> coolest way. Yes, I know. I do know that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Kyle went out to like get some beers for us, and when he came back, he was like juggling them, and we thought that was the best comeback of the year. The year. No. Uh, yeah, the AL Outstanding Pitcher was Garrett Cole of the Yankees. AL Outstanding Rookie was Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles, and the AL Comeback Player was Liam Hendricks of the White Sox. Nice. So the, the, that answers your question of the Major League Baseball Players' Choice Awards. They That's... should make a bigger deal about They that. should. <laughs> like... I thought I was opening something that was going to say who was up for awards, but I was like, nope, this is, this is over. This is done then decided so here you go here they are yeah the mlbpa <laughs> needs to get a little bit like they what's weird to say is that they are on the the literal bleeding edge of unionism in sports right now they are the most effective union they are the most powerful union um uh, they're the union that has won the most for for their athletes I think maybe the WNBA is a close second, but they are still struggling with stuff that they desperately need. Like, I, it would be great if they could continue to set an example, especially in this current era of uh, of incredible union wins, like big, big wins. You know, um, the auto strike recently, there have been a lot of other strikes. Like, it would be great if they could continue sort of leading the way and be like, yes, we're we're the players and we're honoring our own. You know, this is what we care about. Like, where's the Players Hall of Fame? I, I want that, that. That was called cronyism. Uh, you can look that up <laughs> when all the players in the Hall of Fame just voted in their friends for a while and nobody stopped yeah. it from happening. Uh, but yeah, that's I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> that's, that's not what I mean. But that yes, certainly has it, it, in the same vein. Like if I'm reading a baseball book, I would rather read a baseball book written by a player by on his own. You know, even if it's not like super well written it's still you're still going to get a more honest and raw portrayal of events not with you know not with like with a writer or just by a writer who is like interviewed that player and is trying to add all these kinds of themes and ideas and bringing in their own their own beliefs into it and everything like i'd rather just get it straight from the player and that's the equivalent of what you're saying players choice awards is going to be more indicative of how do these players look at each other what do they value among their peers and that is very interesting and a i think a purer look at how baseball measures itself yeah and like that's information that like i i don't know how long that goes back if you know since the pa has done that or if they ever like that's information from the past that we literally just don't have yeah like, and exactly. that's depressing that the players themselves were never thought to be expert enough at their own sport to decide who was, you know, who was eligible and worthy of, you know, of awards from year to year and awards overall. Like, it, it doesn't have to be the most important. It, it doesn't have to be the only opinion. But it should play a role and that's why the hall of fame continues to sort of ring false to me because it's just a bunch of writers that are arbitrarily chosen. Mm-hmm. It's really about what side of the bed did those writers wake up in the morning when they got their ballots in the mail? Yeah. Well, and it's the whole, the whole baseball writer association of America is really just a lot of it is about keeping people that they deem to be unworthy of voting on these awards out. You know, they have they have been against baseball uh, Internet writers for a long time. I have friends who struggled to get into the BBWAA. Um, I didn't write about baseball on my own on its own long enough to ever qualify, despite mm. writing about it, you know, several times a week and podcasting about it. I It's not I'm not considered to be, you know, there's you know, I can't write. I can't vote on it. So. 
you know, I, I always care more about what the players think because I have been excluded from that club. So why, why should I care what they think at all? Why should I care what the writers think? I think that's totally fair. And I look forward to having another Hall of Fame discourse <laughs> when that time of year comes around. I think this is the Utley year, though. I think oh. this is Utley's year. Can't wait. It's always so productive to talk about the Hall of Fame, regardless of who's going in. I'm really looking forward to having a personal stake in it this time. Yeah, right. Uh, well, just to wrap up our Silver Slugger talk, uh, Kyle Schwarber is going to be up against Ronald Acuna Jr., who's definitely going to win. Uh, Mookie Betts, who also could win. Cody Bellinger, Corbin Carroll, Juan Soto, and Seiya Suzuki, who I think should should uh, would absolutely win and perhaps should because he did have a great year for the Cubs. Uh, he was a guy who I think was not playing at the level maybe he was expected to, and this year became a much more productive member of that team and was a big part of why they seemed to look like a potential scrappy playoff entry uh, as the season was hitting its home stretch, of course, falling short of that. But still, great season for Suzuki, and that's Kyle Schwarber's competition as, you know, an outfielder, quote-unquote. Like I said, Bryce Harper, DH, up against J.D. Martinez, Marcelo Zuna, and Jorge Soler. Trey Turner is up against Xander Bogarts of the Padres, Francisco Lindor of the Mets, and Dansby Swanson of the Cubs. And J.T. Real Muto will square off against William Contreras of the Brewers, Sean Murphy of the Braves, and Will Smith of the Dodgers. Liz, little bit of Silver Slugger trivia. What position do you think is the long? Has it been the longest since the Phillies had someone win a Silver Slugger at? I couldn't figure out the most clear way to ask that question. Mm. I apologize, but do you understand what I'm asking you? I do. I do. Um, longest since um third base. You nailed it. Yeah. Third base, not since Scott Rowland in 20, uh, 2002, over 20 years since the Phillies have had a silver slugger at third base. Yeah, because so. I was trying to think. I'm like, all right, if I go back far enough, it's a lot of Mike Schmidt. And then after that, it's Scott Rowland. And then there's just a giant hole with Pedro Feliz waving up at me. Yeah. At the very bottom of it. <laughs> that's just, that's where they, they never really locked that down. Uh, no. <laughs> even, in that, even in that era. No, but, they didn't lock it down until they put Alec Bohm there. Yeah, I mean, Polanco, I've got to uh, shout out Plasto Polanco. They brought him in to be the third baseman. And yeah, he, we had our fun. We had our we fun ca- with old Polly. Do we count Michael Franco? <laughs> he had a couple of fun weekends. <laughs> he did. He, he, were, he made some big plays that yeah. no one expected him to make because he was not a good third baseman. Isn't it wild that Michael Franco and Bryce Harper played on the same Phillies teams? That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't feel right. Franco Not was for long, but we had that whole like month where it was like Michael Franco is hitting eighth now. He is going to be the best eight hole hitter in baseball. This is great. And he was doing really well and then he you know he it was just because wasn't the previous season he had like a like every single thing about those teams, any little good thing you can find, it's all just like fluke. It's not because anyone was actually good. It's because Michael Franco somehow got hot for this amount of time. Don Brown got hot for literally a single month, one yeah. month out of his entire career. Yeah, that was a great. That was a great May, though. Man. That was a great May. <laughs> we thought it was all happening. Yep. Ah. <laughs> we had reason to believe. Liz, we're let me being ask. Stupid. <laughs> let me ask you this: yeah. How many Silver Slugger nominees will the Phillies have next year? Higher or lower than four? Same. I think they'll probably have the same and they'll be mixed differently. They'll be different people though, you're saying? Yeah, a little a mixed a little bit differently. Okay. Let's say let's 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 lay it out. I think Harper winds up in there again. But definitely. where? Um as a All right. Right now, <laughs> I was thinking about this. I'm I'm see uh, he's as as an outfielder. We don't I have think. to talk about this. We don't have to actually make a nope. decision right now. No, nope. I'm doing I can do this. I can do this. I think yeah, he gets it as a as an outfielder because Reese Hoskins is playing first. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I think that's that's where he lands. I think probably Schwarber. Uh, I want to give it to one of Bohm or Stott. Not both, but one of them. Let's say Stott. Let's say Stott. Uh, well, no, like the competition will still be stiff. Uh, I'll go Bohm. Let's just say Bohm, mm-hmm. who you know showed plenty of, uh, of promise this year. Uh, again, finished the season as the Phillies. Most productive hitter with runners in scoring position. Uh, I think we're going to touch on that in a little bit here. But, um, yeah, I think those three, let's see. Uh, 
And maybe throw Castellanos in there as well. Maybe he'll put together some hot months again, and I think we'll have a more... I think he's going to have a 2024 that's more of a balance between his first two seasons here. Not super hot all-star, but also not a complete non-entity either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to some baseball that's actually being played. I figured this was at least worth an update. Uh, I know we're sometimes with the Arizona Fall League, which is where every team sends a contingent of prospects, top or otherwise, uh, out to the desert to play on a circuit where they combine with other teams' prospects. The Phillies are currently playing as the Scottsdale, Scottsdale Scorpions, along with prospects from the Angels, Giants, Cardinals, and Nationals. Uh, and, yeah, they, you know, I don't know if a lot of people follow this action a whole lot because playoff baseball is happening when the Arizona Fall League begins as it opens with the close of the Major League Baseball regular season. Um, but I wanted to at least provide an update here because there's some a little bit of cool stuff going on out there with some Phillies prospects. You know, it was only two years ago that the Phillies AFL Brigade featured Bryson Stott, <laughs> Logan Ohapi, Mickey Moniak, uh, guys who are either starting for them now or we're part of trades that acquired the starters that are starting for the Phillies now. So it's another indication of how quickly things can change year to year for your wow. team's development. <laughs> uh, this year, they sent nine prospects out to the desert, including three in their top 30. Uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Rincones is considered, I think, the most watchable Phillies prospect out there. He's an outfielder. Uh, right-handed pitcher Christian McGowan and catcher Caleb Ricketts. Uh, that's numbers 9, 14, and 15 in the Phillies' top 30, according to MLB.com. Uh, they also sent infielder Oliver Dunn, infielder Matt Kroon, right-handed pitcher Andrew Baker, lefty Jordy Martinez, righty Mitch Noonborn, and another right-hander named Dominic Pipkin. Uh, the season's been going on, like I said, since the end of the MLB regular season. The Scorpions are 13-13, and 13, right in the middle of the pack. Phillies prospect Oliver Dunn has the fourth highest OPS in the circuit right now at 1122. He's stolen 12 bases in 18 games. Last night, playing second base, Dunn ranged to his right and made a diving stop to keep a hot grounder from going up the middle. He got an audible reaction from the crowd upon completing the play, like a lot of like, oh... Uh, that was it was just a really good looking stop and a great looking play. Dunn is 25. He spent most of the year at Reading, hitting 271 with a 902 OPS and 21 home runs. Last week, Dunn was one of only six players out there who was slugging over 600. He's not anymore, but at that point, there was a very small number of them doing it, and he was one of them. Uh, and like I said, one of the hottest names for the Phillies going out there to the AFL this year before the plane had even landed was outfielder Gabriel Rincones, and he's making an impression in Arizona as well. The 22-year-old lefty is hitting 295 and is 14 for 16 in stolen base attempts. Rincones has scored 20 runs, which is second highest in the AFL behind only Padres prospect Jacob Marcy, who is absolutely uncatchable out there with a 671 slugging percentage. Woo! So despite Rincones only hitting two home runs thus far, though he did hit another ball that went 452 feet but was cut down by the batter's eye of the stadium, according to MLB.com's Sam Dykstra, Rincones will participate in the AFL Home Run Derby on Saturday in Mesa, Arizona. Rincones hit 15 home runs this year between single and high A, which he gets bonus points for because it is noted that they are not hitter-friendly leagues, so it is an accomplishment that he managed to do that. Ooh. Now, Liz, obviously, you're not going to be criticized, and I mean, the universal you are not going to be criticized for a lack of familiarity with uh, these prospects in particular, unless you're someone who really follows uh, the Phillies farm system. I'm uh, pretty that... sure you made some of them up. <laughs> well, Dominic Pipkin, does, that, that's, not, that's definitely not from a children's storybook that I found. <laughs> that's oh, the one that gave it away, man. I'm just like, I had some suspicions earlier, but I'm just like, no, that guy sounds like he belongs under a bridge. No offense to Pipkin, who I'm sure is a, a lovely uh, person. Yes, an effective, uh, hopefully future star for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, but that being said, Liz, this was a obviously tough year, it feels like, for the Phillies farm system. Andrew Painter kind of initially set the tone there by missing the entire season with an injury. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, I think is not scheduled to be right at the start of next season either. Um, Mick Abel did not have the kind of season the Phillies wanted. I believe he, he surged at the end, but, uh, for the most part, not really, not the season they wanted to see from him as a pitcher. And Griff McGarry, the other head of their three-headed young pitching monster is pretty much considered a relief option at this point. Ooh. Not somebody you, you, you want to move into a rotation, at least at this juncture. 
Justin Crawford is probably your top position player, and he opened some eyes this year. He's he's made it onto he's starting to creep onto some some top one hundred lists. Yeah. But Elizabeth, for the most part, you know, based on what I'm telling you about what's going on in the Arizona Fall League and the overall impressions you get from the Phillies farm system this year. What in general is your like view of the farm system? Is this is this an asset that the, you think the Phillies are going to be able to lean on in the near future as they kind of work to to fill some of these gaps they may or may not have moving into 2024? Do you feel like it has improved? Do you feel like they've had too many bumps in the road? Like how is how's your view of the Phillies farm system changed from let's say this point last year? Um I think it's a well, I don't know. It's about the same, which is just like like it's fine. Like the the farm system seems fine. It seems like it's middling. I think there's still probably more to do, more that Dombrowski wants to do, um, and like he's got time to do that. I don't think there is a lot they can use as trade fodder. Unfortunately, I mean I I don't know for sure, but it just doesn't seem like See, it. The thing is, I always think that, and then they make a trade, and it's just, you know, it's somebody that Dombrowski has found, somebody who's who's willing to, to swap for. So, Well, yeah, and it's, it's we think, you know, a trade for a big name, and they're only going to trade, like, their big prospects. Like, the Phillies definitely, I think, at this point, have depth to trade some, some dudes for, a, you know, something they're looking for. You know, but as far as making big trades, I just don't think that's something they're doing. I believe the overall impression is that the Phillies do have perhaps a greater dearth of talent in single and high A. That just, you know, the, the deeper into the farm system you go, I think the less universal familiarity you're going to have for some of these guys. And so I think maybe in a couple of years, things look a little better. Obviously, that would mean you, you will have you have undergone several drafts since then as well. Uh, and I know building a farm system isn't necessarily considered Dave Dombrowski's specialty, but the Phillies have more than just Dave Dombrowski working in their front office on things like this. So, But in general, I'm with you. I feel like there's still kind of like low middle of the pack as far as farm system rankings go. And I, I unfortunately, I don't think Painter's health did them any favors on that front this season. But like I said, Dombrowski, when he wants to make a trade that involves Phillies prospects, he always seems to find a way. So that's you can feel like you don't have the best farm system in baseball and still be able to pull off the trades you need to build the roster you want to see. So we'll see what happens there, but I figured it was at least worth a peek out to Arizona to see what uh, the Phillies prospects were up to. We did mention Dave Dombrowski and potential moves, and that's going to be a huge focus of uh, of the Phillies and their fans this offseason. There is not a Trey Turner sitting there waiting to be signed. I am not expecting a big blockbuster free agent pool for the Phillies. I think the biggest deals are going to be what happens with Reese Hoskins, uh, Dave Dombrowski said their biggest priority, their number one offseason priority, according to Todd Zalecki, would be re-signing Aaron Nola or replacing Filling Aaron Filling that giant hole that Aaron Nola has recently left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he was pretty, like, he, he, he kind of openly said, but, you know, if that doesn't happen, then we our focus will sh- shift to replacing him. He certainly allowed for plenty of margin of for error there. So he, he was not saying... We want to we want to get this done. We want Aaron Nola here. He said we want him here, but you know if we can't, if it works failing out, that, we will find a replacement. So mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly a we're locking down Aaron kind of conversation. So that was an interesting, I think, uh, view into how the Phillies are looking at their off season. He also said they don't know about Hoskins' future in Philadelphia yet until they know where Bryce Harper will play. If Harper stays at first, it likely ends Hoskins' time in Philly, Todd Zalecki writes. If Harper returns to right field, Hoskins' path to return opens. Liz, that's kind of a hell of a spot to put Bryce Harper in, is it yeah. not? Yeah, <laughs> that's not nice. <laughs> I mean, th- that the way that's framed, it really sounds like they're saying it's up to Bryce Harper whether Reese Hoskins is on this team or not next year. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy. I mean, I would assume he would. And based on what Bryce Harper has said, unless a doctor tells him, if you go out to that outfield, you're going to die. He's going to go back. He wants to play in the outfield. He has said that he like expects, I think that to happen. So it's his position. Of course, he wants to go back there. And so let's just end this now. I can't imagine that Bryce Harper wants to be the guy that says, no, I want to play first base. <laughs> Reese Hoskins can't come back. The guy I called our captain, I, I've decided he's off the team. <laughs> yeah, like that's not happening. 
he's gonna go he's like i as much as dombrowski you know harper's gonna go back to the outfield he's just gonna do that it's gonna happen yeah i'm pretty convinced i'm I'm pretty convinced you're gonna wind up looking at a bryce harper and right hoskins at first schwarber dhing scenario that's that's what I'm doing now. But do you feel like I was thinking about this this morning and it really does feel like, you know, there's a, there's an extra man here because you got Castellanos. He's uh-huh. got to play. You got center field where you got Marsh, Pache, Rojas. You know, you got some some names to throw out there. And the Phillies were pretty generous in their platooning out there. Pretty openly like this is no one's locked in position. As of now, we have guys we who we feel serve better as a platoon. And that's what they were doing to the bitter end. But. Speaking of the outfield, Dombrowski also said Johan Rojas will not be handed a job uh, next year. This is from NBC Sports Philadelphia. You're always looking to get better, Dombrowski said. Rojas's defense far exceeded his offense during the regular season. My question with him when we made the move to bring him to the big league level was, can he keep his head above water to keep him in the lineup with, this, with his defense because of the other offense we have? And the answer was, I think we can do that. And we really did that until we got to the postseason and they Oops. really went after him and he scuffled at that point. So I'm not going to anoint him a position with our big league club next year. He has to be able to contribute some offensively or else he has to go down to continue to develop. It doesn't mean we don't love him. We think he's a really good player, but we do need more offense than that out of a position. I don't know that there's anything different other than that, other than we continue to work on trying to control the strike zone. So first of all, Dombrowski's answers to these questions were so, kind of some of the more direct and transparent I've ever seen an executive yeah, giving. I really, well, because I mean, here's the thing. He has nothing to hide. He's yeah. not making any big signings this season. Like, it's, it, well, I mean, and or he might not. It'll be, it's Aaron Nola or Aaron Nola's replacement, and the rest is just incremental getting better. And so, like, there's an odd man out, and the only thing he didn't say is the guy who's odd man out is getting traded for something we need. Right. And, you know, know, that could very well wind up being the case. I don't think it's going to be Rojas. I think it's going to be Pache. Yeah, I mean, Rojas really, like I said, I was surprised not to, I don't mean that insultingly, but I was very surprised when he was getting introduced uh, in some of those early round playoff games in Philadelphia, he got huge responses. People love Johan Rojas. People (laughs) love flashy center field defense. Like, center field is the place where you can really be flashy. That's one of those, you know, high-profile defensive positions. And so, like, that's the guy who's going to make the big catch to save a, a home run, who's going to run in and make the sliding grab. Like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ground to cover and a lot of great things a center fielder can do. And so I think that's why. And also, he's young, and they love – there's nothing – the a Phillies, you know, crowd loves more than supporting a young player. I think Johan Rojas can figure out how to be a, like a 250 hitter. I think I he hope can so. figure that out. I don't think that's I don't even think that's too much of a chore to be honest with you. I think he got dropped into this situation, had to figure it out as he went, didn't really figure it out at the plate, but made at least one season-saving play in yeah. the outfield in the postseason. So, obviously, he has a ton of value as a center fielder. So, if your only issue is we got to get this guy up to a major league adequate level of offense, I mean, I know we say his name too much, but you got one of the best hitting coaches in baseball in your yep. in your, in your stable here. Like, you got a pretty solid, uh, at least more solidified development system offensively. So, there should be... Johan Rojas should be able to be a better hitter next year. Not, not necessarily. It's not going to be in this silver slugger conversation when we have it next year, but he can learn, I think, and make the adjustments he needs to make to be a major league average player, or even just a little bit below average, just enough that his defense becomes worth it. And then if they want to keep moving forward with Marsh being a great hitter and a good fielder and Rojas being a spectacular defender and a below average hitter and just swap those guys out when it seems appropriate, that's not a bad idea, I don't think, to have no. one of those two guys on your bench at that point. Like that's that's a that's a pretty that's that's a pretty valuable uh, asset to have. I think so. It gives you a good option anytime. It gives you like and because if Rojas can at least get his average, I mean, I'd settle for even like two forty. That's like that's like right on the border of unproductive. Like you are being really annoying, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like it's I don't I it's. 
250 seems like a stretch, but I could see him being like a, a really a, a 240 hitter with good timing. Right. Just enough to be able to get on base frequently enough that his speed becomes, you know, they can use that in their aggressive style of play, assuming exactly. they maintain their, their desire to steal bases next year as well. So, yeah, I think the Phillies outfield will not look totally foreign um, next year. I think there'll be a lot of familiar faces, though I, I'm glad that Dombrowski is saying, you know, he's not going to be handed that job because end of the day, as valuable as he was as a defender, Johan Rojas really, you know, the bottom of that lineup was kind of the, the the defense was very able to get out the bottom of the Phillies order. It felt like uh, yeah. certainly in the postseason. So and this is why I really appreciate Dombrowski because he has he knows what he has and he knows he's not to have to make a lot of moves but he's still emphasizing that the most important thing is to get better yeah and, and i i his directness is greatly appreciated as someone who hates hates that the gm double speak you know horrible you know reporting language it's terrible i hate all of that so i appreciate him just being direct and being like yeah this is how it is and the most important thing he said, one of the most important things you can hear from your the, the decision maker in your front office is Dombrowski also said, I've talked preliminarily with John, as in John Middleton, and he said, I would be surprised if we don't have the finances to support what we need to do. That's all you got to hear. That's all you got to know and hear about from ownership. And, you know, I'll say it again. I When I saw John Middleton down on the field before one of those home playoff games, uh, the first thing in my head was, boy, I haven't thought about John Middleton in a long time. Based mm -hmm. on how much we used to have to talk about him on this show, based on comments he would make, based on stories that came out, based on, you know, it felt like there was, uh, there was some... We were, people were finding their footing as far as what their general roles were. And all we ever said was, boy, what we want a billionaire owner to do is make the team better. You know, not just say we're going to make the team better and we want to win, but actually do those things and then just step aside and let the team be in the spotlight, not the owner. Like let, let the, that's what people want. They want to be able to celebrate the players, not constantly have conversations about who owns the team and where the money's going. Yeah, that's and what he's done it. Yeah. He has done it, and I'm just, once again, because of how much we talked and complained about ownership and everything for, for a couple of years, I just want to hit that uh, hit that point again as the season has come to a close, that Middleton did exactly what we wanted an owner to do, and that he's now telling Dombrowski, like, they've had their conversations about what they could possibly do, and Dombrowski seems to feel like he's going to have the financial backing to do whatever he needs to do. That's the best possible news going into the offseason, because not every GM or president of baseball ops has that from their owner. No, I mean, Middleton, you could tell, had the time of his life. Yeah. This this playoff, like different than last year, because I think we were all trying to figure things out last year. That last year was definitely when he had all those a couple of puff pieces out about him. Like yeah. he, everyone was really <laughs> trying to find their footing with who these Phillies are now with this with like a legitimate superstar lineup and this year everyone just sort of settled in and at the end of the season Middleton was able to be Santa Claus he just wants that's what he wants he wants the opportunity to be Santa Claus and be loved by the people and he's figured out how to do it you know it's giving giving the team the finances they want to make the the uh the fans come to the ballpark and and expect the things that the team is going the team wants to give them. I'll say it again. I know I've said it repeatedly. Uh, it was chiefly a topic during the labor stoppage um, of uh, recent baseball history, but tipping pitches, uh, baseball podcast. I think had the best definition of the kind of people who seek out or, or want to be a, a, an owner in a, of a major league baseball franchise. And it's twofold. One is because it's an investment that cannot bust. Uh, and the other reason is the small amount of celebrity you get from it. And I think Middleton put it together that like, you know, if I just spend the money, if I just make the team better, if I, if I do, if I even go a little overboard and sign Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, uh, and, and really just show, like, I, I want to put a winner on the field, then when that team starts winning and that team, the city starts falling in love with that team, he can pop out of that tunnel and start throwing baseballs into the crowd, and that's that celebrity. That's that level that, that he wants and that he wants to be beloved. Great. You're doing the right thing to be beloved. You are 
you're, you're that's that's all you got to do. I think they even said um, over footage of that uh, after I think the Phillies had beaten the Braves, he came out and was throwing balls into the into the crowd. And uh, I believe my editor at Baseball Prospectus, Craig Goldstein, said it's so easy for these guys to be beloved. They all want it. Like a lot of them want to be, but they're not. But it's very easy to be. Just do what he's doing. Do what Steve Cohen's doing. Like that's if that's your goal, then that's what you got to do. That's not everybody's goal, but. If, if you're if you're whining and complaining about not being beloved in your city or not appreciated for the, what you've done to, to build a winner, whether you're lying through your teeth or not, Middleton's kind of setting the bar as far as like if your goal as an owner, as a billionaire, is to have the love of the people, then that's how you do it. Uh, you know, that's Give that's it. the people <laughs> what they want. Yep. Yep. Well, let's wrap up this episode by playing a little game I call Guess That Stat Woo! as the season is now over. Uh, the stats for the 2023 season are locked in, and I felt like I just had a couple of good trivia questions to ask you, Liz, about uh, how the Phillies ended up, mostly offensively. I don't have a ton of pitching ones, but uh, yeah, there's uh, there's obviously a lot of great offensive contributors on this team and a lot of fun numbers, so I figured it'd be nice to just close things up by acknowledging that through the art of trivia. Ooh, all right. So, Elizabeth, three 2023 Phillies had five or more triples. This season. Can you name all three players? Okay. I think one of them is Bryson Stott. I'm going to wait till you say all three. I know. Okay. (laughs) One of them is... Who else plays? Uh, uh, Brandon Marsh. Who else plays for the Phillies? I, I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just like, who else is out there? <laughs> I'm just like, I, I'm putting together, like, it's like a, a dark field. And in my head, it just like the light goes on. I'm like, all right, well, Kyle Schwarber is there and he's not it. But is Unless, he? you never know. Maybe the ball hit that part of the fence that leads to I know he has at least one triple this year. Mm-hmm. Who else? Um... But did he hit that part of the wall at least five times? Five times. I keep forgetting his five triples. Um, did I say? And I said, then how about Real Muto? Real Muto. Okay, so your answers are Bryson Stott, Brandon Marsh, and JT Real Muto. Yeah. The answers are JT Real Muto with five triples, Brandon Marsh with six triples, and Trey Turner. Trey Turner. That's what I keep triples. forgetting. God. He was just <laughs> such a non-factor for a, such a vast majority of the season. I'm going to continue to forget him. I mean, it remains. I don't I don't want to go back and, and, you know, retell everything we already know about Trey Turner's season. But it just does. It remains even as insane as Silver Slug, Silver Slugger nominations can get. It remains so incredible that he is up for that award after the season he had. Like that is recency it, bias. It's a yeah, it's a testament to how he turned his season around, but also yeah, a testament. Yeah, you you vote on bias. those at the end of the season. Ed Trey Turner had one heck of a one heck of an end. Yeah, uh, Liz, when Alec Bohm hit his twentieth homer near the end of the year, the Phillies had their sixth player with a twenty home run season in in twenty twenty three. How many of these players had 30 or more home runs? How many of them had 30? Yeah, six of them had 20 or more. Now, you know it wasn't Bohm because he only yeah. hit 20, as I just told you. But uh, how many of them hit 30 or more? So there were six total. Let's say f- four. Mm. Three. Four. Yep. The answer is one. No, really? <laughs> yeah. Kyle Schwarber. Oh, God. I Kyle can't... Schwarber hit 47 home runs. Nobody else. Uh, I think Harper had 29. 29. Was, I don't yeah. know why I thought a bunch of them had hit over 30. That's dumb. That's the kind of team they're set up to be. And in a like a perfect season, I think they would have had at least three guys hit 30 home runs. Like Turner, if he didn't take five months to warm up. Yeah. Harper, if he hadn't missed over a month. You know, I think you certainly, you might have seen that. Uh, only one Phillies pitcher made it into at least 30 games, and finished with an ERA under three. And, you know, this is anybody on the pitching staff, not just the rotation. Uh, who was it? Um, An ERA under three. 30 game. Is it Jose Alvarado? It is not. It was the Hoffinator, uh, Jeff, Jeff Hoffman. 
Of course. <laughs> of course. The Hoffinator. How could we ever forget him? Let's dig into some bad memories now. Oh, Alec, great. <laughs> Alec Bohm hit 344 with runners in scoring position this season with 11 extra base hits. Who, going by number of hits, was the Phillies' worst hitter with runners in scoring position this year among their starters? Okay, and it, you said the qualifier was it was the number of... Going by the number of hits, hits. they had with runners in scoring position. Hmm... I think it's I think it's Nick Castellanos. It was JT Real Muto. Oh. Only had 26 hits with runners in scoring position, 38 runs batted in. What's what I thought was interesting about this was he has the same number of extra base hits as runners in with runners in scoring position as Alec Bohm, their best by batting average hitter with runners in scoring position. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. It is. Uh, who was the Phillies' leader? And you're not going to know this, but I want you to just throw throw a name out there. This is open to more than just starters. Who was the Phillies' leader in getting hit by a pitch with runners in scoring position this year? Seems to, <laughs> this is like kind of a high number for that specific situation. Runners in scoring position. Um, I'll be surprised if you get it. Is it Edmundo Sosa? <laughs> it's Edmundo yeah! Sosa. Wow. Six times he got hit by a pitch with runners in scoring position. Seems like a lot. I don't know. Real Muto was the overall hit by pitch champ for the Phillies with nine. But Edmundo Sosa had it happen six times with runners in scoring position. Crazy. Uh, among Phillies speedsters like Bryson Stott, Trey Turner, and Brandon Marsh, Stott was 31 for 34 in stolen base attempts this year. Trey Turner was 30 for 30. Uh, how many did Brandon Marsh have? Stolen base attempts? Um, let's just say stolen bases stolen in general. Bases. How many did he have? 17. You were right to go lower. I was surprised at how low it was, though. He only had 10. Ah, was... I almost said 10. I'm like, it can't be that low. He was 10 for 12, 10 of 12 in stolen base attempts. Yeah, that, that seemed low to me. Uh, how many Phillies had double digit steals this year? Three. Seven. Seven. Aggressive base stealers, those Phils, in 2023. All right. Uh, and in a more Phillies appropriate stat, how many Phillies had at least one home run this year? Like 12, 18, 18. <laughs> I forgot to look up how that measured up as like with other teams. And if that was higher or lower or average, but yeah, at least 18 Phillies had at least one home run this year, including Weston Wilson hitting his home oh, run. Yeah. Derek Hall had a home run. You know, this were you, you got to dig pretty deep, but still, 18 Phillies had at least one home run in 2023. Wow. Uh, here's This is probably my favorite question. Jake Cave hit five home runs in 2023. Not in the last at-bat of the season, no. as Larry Anderson was trying to put into existence uh, on the radio broadcast <laughs> oh, as the Larry. Phillies season winded down. Uh, but he hit five home runs in 2023. Three were off the same team. What team did Jake Cave hit three home runs off of in 2023? Oh, gosh. Is it the Braves? It is the Washington Nationals. Uh, I knew it had to be. It had to be an NL East team. Yeah. And I like where your head's at, where it's like, yeah, sure. He, let's let's say Jake Cave beat up on the Braves. That's something. If you told me that happened and I didn't check, I'd be like, yeah. Okay. Why not? I, I mean, it's, not? it's yeah. as weird a thing that's, you know, as could happen. Like it, anything, it's baseball. Anything can happen. But the only pitcher you've heard of that he homered off this year was Sandy Alcantara uh, of the Marlins. Probably, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the people on the Nationals he homered off of, are, I have no idea who they were. Nationals uh, la don't even know who they are anymore. <laughs> yeah, man, it's just looking at his card like, I don't think that guy's on our team. All right, I'm just going to let this play out and uh, <laughs> see what happens. notices. Uh, all right, our last question, also one of my favorites. Liz, how many games into the season did Garrett Stubbs hit his only home run of the year? Oh, God. So out of 162 games, 
how far, what number game did he hit finally? Did he hit his one one home run? I kind of gave you a little bit of a hint there by saying finally. Um, 128. Ooh. 158 games. Oh, gosh. I knew it was. uh, I'm like, it can't be that late. I'm I'm like, I'm remembering that wrong. Just snuck it in there. Yeah, you did. Right at the finish line. Yeah, I remember sitting sitting in in the the living room of the house I'm in right now watching that. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that now that you've mentioned it. Well, there'll be a fun winter ahead for the Phillies we assume uh, they'll make some moves some drama will play out some decisions will be made people will hate them or not hate them but we're certainly going to talk about them here on Hidden Season so stick with us through the offseason as the Phillies set up their 2024 campaign uh, don't forget new episodes will appear here at billypen.com slash hidden season and for bonus content all winter long head on over to patreon.com slash hidden season uh, for five dollars a month you get access to raw and unfiltered commentary on absolutely hammered about whatever the Phillies are doing now uh, as well as historical stories played out on the dirty inning where we talk about the dumbest funniest and most obscure innings in Philadelphia Phillies history to help you get through the cold winter. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hidden Season.